talking about faith. We've had some pretty cool revelations on faith. <clears throat> um, last time we really talked about faith basics. And uh, one of the things we talked about was being Christ-like. In order to be Christ-like, you must be a disciple. Disciple means student, Christ. Christian means Christ-like. And disciple means student or follower. So if we're really going to be a, a good... If we're going to be... How can you be Christ-like, which is a Christian, without having studied, without having been a student first? So I think everyone is on their journey as a student. You know, anyone who decides to follow Jesus, anyone who decides to receive Jesus, they begin their journey with God. And sometimes you have good disciples, sometimes you don't have such good disciples. You know what I mean? Even the 12 disciples had different levels of commitment. You know what I mean? You have, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, anyway, very interesting. But that's all I was going to say about that. Just kind of recap about what we talked about last time. The faith basics. So, I don't know what the subtitle of this one is yet. I'm really thinking about that. But Alright, so we've been talking about First John, talking about how whoever says he abides in him ought to walk. Ought to walk. In the same way in which he walked. In the same way in which he walked. This is, uh, I think, 1 John 2, 4 through 6. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps... So we're talking about people who have the truth in them. You know, we're talking about Christianity. We're talking about Christianity basics, you know. If you claim to know Christ, you claim to be in Christ, but you don't keep his commandments, then it says right here that you're a liar and the truth is not in you. That's a really harsh statement. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Okay, so now we see that there's a perfection of love. You know, we have the, the, the title of this message. I was, I was calling it Jesus Taught Faith and Modeled Love and Mercy. But we're trying to keep the, me the message short a little bit, the, or the title short, we're calling it Faith, Love, and Mercy. But the point of the teaching is that Jesus taught faith, and he modeled it as well. It was always a show and tell. You know, someone couldn't cast out a demon, he'd say, well, bring him here to me. Boom, he'd cast the demon out. And he was always showing and telling. It was demonstration. It was very hands-on. Discipleship with Jesus wasn't just book study. It was life study. It was practical application. Laying hands on the sick. Praying for people. You know, believing God for miracles. Um, Jesus' ministry was completely characterized by miracles. You know what I mean? You don't look at Jesus and not think about his miracles. You know, um, very interesting. So we ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. You know, I find it funny and people will, they read that passage and they think, see, Jesus was a loving guy. He was merciful. We ought to walk the same way. He walked. And they would be sold out to believing, hey, you need to be merciful and you need to be, you know, forgiving and you need to be kind and giving and all that stuff. You know, rooted in love, obviously. 100%. 100% that's the way Jesus walked was in love. But 
that love led him to these great things, these huge things that he did, you know, miracles and stuff. And so part of following Jesus is operating in miracles. It's operating in faith and in love and in mercy. So that's kind of what we're talking about here. So <clears throat> the disciples, Acts chapter 4, verse 33. I love this one. Um, Acts chapter 4, verse 33. Here's an illustration. After Jesus was gone, it says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Great grace. Great grace was upon them. I just um, wanted to point that out. Great grace was upon them. Great grace. Great. You, have, you can have some... Apparently, you can have grace, and then you can have great grace. You know, apparently there's different levels of grace. <laughs> I don't know if we need to get into teaching on grace today, but great grace. You know, we talked about, um, we, talk, we did teaching on faith trumps giftings, and we talked about this, great grace, how grace can be multiplied to you. But this all comes through faith. Grace is how we have all the miracles happen in our life. Anything you, you, you have, anytime um, something over, you know what grace does? It overrides things. And, you know, when you, go to your, when you go to your computer and you're writing something up and you press save as and it pops up the window that says, file already named this name. Would you want to override? Well, when you say yes, you're practicing grace on your computer. Grace overrides your present reality, faith. Faith pulls it down, okay? So grace comes through faith. All right, but grace overrides. That's why when sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. It overrides your sin. I'm not saying it gives you a license to sin. It tells you that you can win over your sin. You can override it. Grace is the power to overcome. It overrides. It's like copy paste over. You know, <laughs> save as you're saving as it's you're replacing the document. Make sense? That's what grace does in our life. Grace is just replaces what you're seeing. So you see a sick person, you need grace. You need to, you know, override. You know what I mean? Um, it's no more disk space. So you just re-record on top of it. That's what I, I, that's what I picture grace as. It, it can't be stopped. Like, you know. Great grace was upon them. But, you know, sometimes we don't operate in that grace. This is great grace. I think that's important to note. Great. This is great grace. Why, why say great grace? You know? No one ever taught me about this stuff. Nobody ever taught me that there was great grace, that you can be multiplied in grace. Never taught this to me, you know? I never heard anyone say in the manifold grace of God, the scripture talks about it. What people talked about was grace was unmerited favor. And then they said that um, there was nothing you could do to earn it. You know. But they did teach you had to ask for it. Like, if you want to get saved, you have to ask for grace. God saved me. So you're asking. So it requires asking. But then you look over at Romans chapter 12, and they said, you know, the, the giftings come by grace too, the Bible says. According to the grace that's been given to you. Well, nobody wants to admit that one person has a different grace than I do. Or, what is grace? The word grace? Why, why don't people want to say that? Because it's unmerited favor. Obviously, if you're getting a grace and I'm getting a grace and they're different, like, what, are you more special than me? 
You know what I mean? So where does grace come from? You know, we, we don't, I don't want to get too much into this. But we, we know that grace comes through knowledge. We know that grace comes through faith. We know that grace comes through humility. Um, grace comes through faith in Ephesians chapter 2. Knowledge in first, I think it's first Peter. Might be second Peter, chapter one. I think it's second Peter chapter one. And humility in James chapter four. <clears throat> May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. So we know that grace comes through the knowledge. By grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, let's you wish and boast. It's a gift of God. Given to us so that we can do good works that were set aside for us since the beginning. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 says. Faith without works is dead. Even Ephesians chapter 2 preaches that, but nobody reads the second part of it. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 real quick. Just... Just going to... Side note, okay? Holy Spirit tangent. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, so why did God give us grace? He didn't give us, good, he didn't give us grace so that we wouldn't have to do anything. So everybody has a misunderstanding, like, look, you've, given, you've been given grace and you don't got to do anything. That's like me saying, hey, you're going to be a businessman. You're going to start your own construction company. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy you a, tool, a trailer full of tools, but you don't have to go do any work. So here's how grace really works. Here's how grace really works. And we're going to talk about this. We're going to go ahead and talk about this. So... Um, Title. Subtitle. Sub subtitle of this is do something. <laughs> do something. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says that you've been given for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, not of your own doing. My Bible says, and this is not your own doing, not your own own doing. Alright, so this grace, so you get by faith you've been given grace which was not your own doing for you are God's workmanship in Christ Created in Christ Jesus. So now that you're, this is not talking about beforehand. This is talking about created in Christ. Now that you've received Christ, now you are a new creation, right? Created in Christ for good works. For good works. So listen, if you say you've been given the grace of God, but there are no good works following, you're a liar. And now, me saying you're a liar isn't supposed to be like so offensive. It's the fact that you're deceived. 
you're deceived and you're only quoting what you've heard. Make sense? You're deceived. It's like, you know, somebody can lie to you and not know that they're lying. You know? Because they just have improper knowledge. Someone comes up to me and says, you can't get healed anymore. It's, that all went away 2,000 years ago. They're lying to me. Now, they might not intentionally be lying to me, but they're just quoting a lie that they've heard. Does that make sense? They're still lying. Just don't know that they're lying. A lot of people don't understand this. They don't understand that God would give you grace for good works. Do you know that grace, for by grace you've been saved through faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith. You've been made whole. <clears throat> for by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of your own doing, lest any man should boast. You're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, a new creation for good works. For good works. God gave you grace for good works. In other words, you can't do these good works without grace. You can't do these... <laughs> my speaker turned off. You can't do these works without grace. And you can't get this grace without faith. Which wasn't your own doing. The grace that you got, you didn't do anything to earn. But now that you have it, it's time to work. You see? For instance, this grace is an inheritance. If you get an inheritance and you don't use it, though, it perishes. Don't let your inheritance perish. Don't allow your inheritance to perish. If I'm, if you're, if, if I'm your father and you're my son and you grew up with me and I am building my business, my construction business, and I tell you, hey, look, all this will be yours one day, right? All you have to do is believe me. There's nothing that you had to do to get this business. Nothing you had to do to get this trailer full of tools, five crews, whatever, all these tools that I got, $10,000. Let's say I just got $10,000, $20,000 worth of tools. Okay? So you're old enough, you're in your 30s or whatever, and I'm, or 40s, and I'm about ready to retire, and I just hand this to you. Did you have to do anything to earn that $20,000, $100,000 worth of tools? Nothing. You did nothing to earn it. It was a free gift. All you had to do is believe that I was going to give it to you, and receive it. Believe and receive, right? Believe and receive. Nothing, no work on your end. But now that you have it, if the business starts going bankrupt, whose fault is that? Yours. You have been given a gift. Grace is a gift. You've been given a gift that you didn't earn. But now that you have it, it was not designed to just sit there. It was designed to do something. So then people are like, oh man, I have this giant house over here with, with mold and mildew throughout the house and I just, I just don't know what to do. And the father's gonna look at the son and say, look, I gave you all the tools. There's no reason for you not to overcome this situation. There's no reason for you not to fix this problem. God gave us grace. It's the same thing. You didn't do anything to get that grace. But now that you have it, 
there's work involved. There's work required for you to, to apply that grace to your life daily. It takes work. Why? You're not going to experience the grace of God in your life without work. You're not going to experience those tools you were given if you don't go to work. You see what I'm saying? The, grace is a tool. It's not a lottery ticket. <laughs> Grace is a tool. It's not a lottery ticket. A lot of people think it's just a lottery ticket. That's not a lottery ticket. It's a tool. This is why, you know, you don't ever get anything by accident. Lottery tickets happen by accident. You go spend your money a little bit, but it costs you something, right? And then you hope that you win. Chances are you're not going to win, right? And that's how people treat grace. They think grace is just like, in fact, they treat their prayers like that too. Well, I'm going to put throw this prayer up to God if it be thy will. <laughs> Lottery ticket. You're not going to get it. If you pray like that, you're not going to get it. I don't think I've ever prayed for anything and said, God, if it's your will, at the end of my prayer, I don't think I ever got whatever I prayed for. I don't think one time I've ever prayed like that, I ever got what I asked for. <laughs> God's giving us grace and it's designed for good works. It's designed for overcoming. <clears throat> God's given us principles, tools, scripture, the word of God, designed to give us victory in our life, you know. But the tools were designed for you to work with. All right, so here's what people do. They'll say, well, for instance, let me, let me give you an illustration. Salvation comes by grace, right? And you have to ask for it because it takes faith. It takes faith. By grace, you've been saved through faith. You will never get a gift from God without grace, and you will never get grace without faith. You'll never have faith without knowledge. Let me say this again. Without humility, without knowledge, it takes knowledge, humility, and faith in that order. You have to hear the word. You have to hear what belongs to you. You have to submit yourself that this is true, that this is something I can operate in. And then you have to believe and endure. Faith has to do with endurance. Okay? So, this is what happens. Everyone says, well, you know, you get saved, you have to, you have to hear. You have to humble yourself, and then you have to believe, right? So they know if you get saved, that's how it happens. But then you start talking about spiritual giftings. They say, well, if God's just going to give me the spiritual gifts of tongues, it's just going to, it's going to happen. That's the way, if that's God's will, then it's just going to happen. Well, how many know it's always God's will for you to get saved, but not everybody just gets saved by accident either? <laughs> Ezekiel says, I desire that none of the wicked should perish. Okay? But we already know that a bunch of people are going to hell. We even talked about it before. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. Broad is the gate that leads to destruction. So many people are perishing. Many people are going to hell. But it's not the will of God for them to go to hell. But they're not getting saved because it's the will of God. If everything that happened was God's will, then everybody would get saved. Because it's the will of God that everyone would get saved. Okay? Does that make sense? But not everybody is saved. The scripture is clear about that. Not everybody will be saved. Only those who hear, submit, 
and obey and and believe, right? Make sense? Same thing for giftings. Romans chapter 12 says that we get the giftings of God by the grace of God. By grace. By the grace that's been given to us. Well, again, how does grace come? Knowledge. Humility. Faith. So if I want to operate in a gifting, I must have knowledge of it. If I didn't know that I could speak in tongues, I'll never speak in tongues. You won't. You have to know. Same thing with operating in gifts of healing. If you don't know that you can operate in gifts of healing, you'll never operate in gifts of healing. If you don't humble yourself and say, wow, that's something I can do, praise God, wow, you'll never experience it. You'll never lay hands on the sick. You'll never see them recover. If you don't believe that you can lay hands on the sick and recover, if you don't endure, because faith has to do with endurance as well, if you don't persevere through trials, you'll never see someone get healed. If you don't go pray for somebody, sometimes you've got to pray for them 15 times, you won't ever see anybody get healed. Why? Because grace is how the gifting comes. And grace only comes through knowledge, humility, and faith. God's grace never happens by accident. You don't get saved by accident, and therefore you're not going to get healed by accident. You're not going to get the gift of tongues by accident. You're not going to prophesy by accident. Nothing's going to happen by accident. Okay? Nothing happens in this earth supernaturally that doesn't happen because unless another man is involved. Now, don't get me wrong. If someone else is praying for you by faith, through grace, and you don't know about it, yeah, you might get healed. People tell me, oh, it was the hand of God. I got in a car wreck, and I just felt like this thing come around me, and, you know, I was living for the devil. Yeah, someone was praying for you. <laughs> I know someone was praying for you because that's just the way it happens. You know, people say, man, I've tried to kill myself so many times and I pulled the trigger and it didn't even fire. Somebody was praying for you. Somebody with faith. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> even the reason why I say this is God doesn't do anything by accident. God doesn't do anything without men involved in the earth. God created faith on purpose. God wanted us to pull something down from heaven. God wants us to bring the kingdom of heaven into the earth. God's rule and reign belongs on the earth. His judgment and His goodness. Okay? So, you know, people say, well, I mean, things happen all the time, you know, without... There's not one time in the scripture that you're going to find that, that uh, shows up when God moves in a supernatural way that it doesn't happen apart from someone else. Every miracle in the, land, in the land of Egypt that Moses performed was because Moses was obedient. You know? Every miracle that happened in the New Testament happened because someone was obedient. Elijah. All the miracles. Someone was obedient. Then you might say, well, what about Sodom and Gomorrah? Fire rained down from heaven. Right? Who did that? Well, Abraham didn't pray for it. Actually, Abraham prayed against it. But why? why? Why did he go judge Sodom and Gomorrah? He says, I'm going to go down and see. Because I've heard an outcry against the city. And I'm going to go see if the report's true. Somebody was praying for justice concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. Someone was outcrying and saying, God, how much longer are you going to allow this evil to continue? Therefore, God comes down, checks it out. Sure enough, it's just as he heard in his prayer in the prayers, and he passes judgment. 
So even the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah happened because of the outcry. Does that make sense? God doesn't move on the earth without men. That's why God's given us faith. Faith is the only way we can tap into the heavenly realm, you know? We pull heaven down into earth. In heaven, there's no sin. That's why judgment happens, right? But also mercy. God's a God of mercy. That's why we're this met lessons about faith, love, and mercy. God is a God of mercy. So you don't get saved by accident. You don't get giftings by accident. You don't get healed by accident. Okay? It happens through the prayers of God's people. Muslims seeing visions of Jesus, that doesn't happen by accident. People are praying for lost people in Muslim countries. And Jesus is revealing himself to the Muslims because of the prayers of the saints. Someone prayed for Paul. <laughs> Why? I don't know who. <laughs> Yeah, well, Jesus does pray too. But I believe someone was praying for their enemy, Paul. Oh, I know who it was. Stephen. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I believe that without Stephen's prayers, Paul might not have ever encountered Jesus. That's a bold statement. I'm going to say that. I'll leave it there. But... It, if God was going to hold Paul against, for his sin against him, he never would have encountered Jesus. But, but Stephen, being stoned by the people, approved by Paul, here is, Paul, here is Stephen praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, it's good stuff. <laughs> My personal opinion. It's good stuff. Doing something. God has created us to do something with our faith. All right? He created us to do something. He gave us grace freely to us. We must operate in grace by faith. <clears throat> Go over to John 14, verse 12. Twelve through fourteen. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified of the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. All right. Everybody listening has to ask yourself, did the devil come to your mind right now and say, well, did God really say that? <laughs> Every time I read that passage, I get tempted by the devil. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Immediately. The devil comes in. Did God really say? Did he really mean? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Christianity 101. If you believe, you will do. The works of Jesus. And greater things. I remember telling one of my mentors this one time I was reading it. 
to him. And he said, Zach, have you ever done anything greater than Jesus? I said, well, I mean, I don't think so. And then he started getting, getting on to me, you know. He's like, well, you know, you can't just say that you're going to do greater things than Jesus. And I'm listening to him the whole time. I'm like, I didn't say I was going to do anything greater than Jesus. Jesus said I was going to do greater things than Jesus. <laughs> you know, I didn't say that, though, until the end. I was just listening to him because I was trying to humble myself to my teachers, you know. But the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that no man will have to teach you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. I'm not saying you don't have teachers. If that was 100% true, then the guy who wrote that letter wouldn't need to send them that letter telling them that the Holy Spirit needs to teach you. <laughs> but John, who wrote 1 John or 2 John, whatever it was, you don't need no teacher. The Holy Spirit teaches you. He's actually not even saying that. I'm getting way off. There's a passage that says, you don't need a man to teach you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. What he's saying is, you know better. I shouldn't have to tell you this, is what he was trying to say. Okay? The Holy Spirit told you this. You should know it. I don't have to tell you. Why am I having to tell you? Because you're resisting the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we need teachers in our life to hold us accountable to what God's already telling us. If John really believed, you don't need a teacher at all. I had a guy one time, left the program, wrote it on the board. He said, no man will need to teach you, only the Holy Spirit. He left and took somebody with him. <laughs> Both those guys are now just way off the deep end. Right? Um, because they took the scripture out of context. You know what I'm saying? But <clears throat> believe, do. We know better. We know these things. It's the, it's the devil that comes in and it's, it's people on the outside that don't understand. <laughs> Lack of understanding causes them to doubt. Their desire to try to understand this passage. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater. You don't, I don't understand that. I don't understand how I can do greater things than Jesus. I don't understand that whatever I ask in his name, I'm going to get it. I don't understand that. But I don't have to understand it. I just have to know knowledge. The Bible says that grace doesn't come by understanding. It comes by knowledge, faith, and humility. You don't have to understand. You just have to know. I know. I know what Jesus said. Jesus said, whatever he said, whatever I ask, I'll get it. I just have to know that. Now I have to humble myself to it. So here's what I found out. When I was talking to that mentor of mine, I get off the phone. I'm like, Lord, I know your word says this. And, you know, I was just listening to that guy, you know, come against this whole thing. But it's very plain as day to me. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. So I'm dealing with the Holy Spirit. I'm like, God, this passage says this. Like, Am I, am I misunderstanding it? And what's funny is that mentor of mine, he always said this. He says, you know, a student is not above his master. He quote Jesus on that, right? And I'm thinking to myself, that came to my mind. It's so funny. The guy who taught me, I'm, he's telling me that this is not what I think it is. And then all of a sudden I get off the phone and the Holy Spirit reminds me of something that that guy taught me. Which was, a student is not above his master. And I looked at this passage and I said, Jesus is my master. I'm not above my master. My master says I can do the same things he's doing and greater. So if I resist what my master says, then I think I know better than my master, which makes me prideful. <laughs> so I finally go, well, I guess I don't. Do I know better than Jesus? Jesus said I can do it. And he said I can do greater things. Well, I don't know what that means. But all I know is it's true. That's all I know. <laughs>
So I, at that moment, I was like, all right, well, Christianity 101 is you must believe and do the works of Jesus. That's Christianity 101. If you believe, you will do also the works that Jesus did and greater. So here's what I found out. If I'm not doing the works of Jesus, and I don't believe. And if I'm not doing greater than Jesus, I don't believe. There's something about my belief system that's wrong. Or I'd be doing the same things Jesus did. There's something wrong with my belief system. Or I'd be doing greater things than Jesus. So my proper response when that guy asked me, well, have you done greater things than Jesus? <laughs> no, I mean, I haven't gotten to that belief level yet. <laughs> That's what I should have said. I should have said, well, I mean, no, I haven't done greater things than Jesus because because I'm having a hard time believing. I'm kind of like you. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> I mean, what he said sounded great. It sounded so theologically doctrinal sound like, man, yeah, dude, that'll, that'll fly. And I realized that it doesn't fly. Anyway, Mark chapter 16, verse 17. says, so in these signs, Mark chapter 16. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and they will drink. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. These, little signs, these signs will follow those who believe. So what's the requirement? You have to believe. It doesn't say these signs will follow those who are gifted. <laughs> and I've said this many times before. I'll say it again. Jesus didn't teach about spiritual giftings. This is the only part that he mentioned spiritual giftings. The only requirement for it is believing. These signs will follow those who believe. Why? Because faith escorts grace in your life. Grace brings giftings. Belief. You have to believe. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat at the right hand of, the, of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So this is saying that when we're preaching, we should have signs to confirm our message. <laughs> there's a certain point where we're not really operating with the way Jesus told us we are falling desperately falling short of what our calling is Hebrews 10 35 to 39 <clears throat> therefore do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward don't throw away your confidence. Confidence. Don't throw away your confidence. Not dance, but dance. <laughs> Some people are. Confidence. We need confidence. Don't throw away your confidence. If you're not confident, it's because you threw it away. Confidence is a choice. People say, well, I'm just not confident. Well, that's because you chose to throw it away. I'm just not confident. That's just because you're not... Faith comes by hearing. So you've been listening to the wrong thing. Lack of confidence is the doubt, remember? So we choose to focus on something different. We focus on the lie. Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need of in 
endurance. So what we find here is that faith is two things, confidence and endurance. Faith is made up of two things, confidence and endurance. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great word for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. So, watch this, watch this, watch this. Watch this. Mm. Faith is made up of two things, confidence, endurance, and result, promises. And result. If you have confidence and you have endurance, you will reap the promise. Confidence and endurance, you'll reap the promise. You will receive the promise. That's what the Bible says right here. How do you get answers to your prayers? Remain confident, and you have to have endurance. <laughs> well, I believe, and it just didn't happen. But somewhere along the line, you gave up. You have to push through. Where do you draw the line? When is the quitting point with faith? Is there ever a point in faith where it's time to go ahead and throw in the towel? Job didn't. Job didn't. <laughs> Jesus didn't. Jairus' daughter comes up, or the son, the Jairus comes up, or the, the people say, hey, there's no need to bother the teacher. She's already dead. Jesus remained confident, and he kept his endurance, and he ate and raised the girl from the dead. There was no, it was no, there is no point where it's too late. <laughs> Lazarus. You know, for your sake, I'm glad we didn't go over there. We, in fact, he knew he was going to die. Say, so we're going to stay here two more days. <laughs> you know what? For, let's go there. Lazarus remained two days. John eleven six. When do we draw the line? When is it too much? When, when is the, the, the trial and the pain and the whatever we're going through finally way too much for us to say, okay, I think I've exercised my faith long enough. It's time to go ahead and throw in the towel. Like When is it okay to do that? And is it ever okay to do that? <clears throat> I love it. John chapter 11, verse 6. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. No rush. We didn't all hop in the ambulance, turn on the lights, and rush down there as quickly as we could. Oh, he's sick? Well, we're just going to go ahead and rest two days. Stay back. No, no hurry. We ain't even got to hurry. You know, last time we could have been like, dang, Jesus. Jairus' daughter, she, she died because you got interrupted and you didn't get there in time, right? Here, he intentionally waited. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, Jesus. Uh, oh, Lazarus is sick. <laughs> and, and look, he, he found out Lazarus was sick by a message, right? Now, when Jesus heard, he says, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So someone, a messenger came and told Jesus this. But somewhere along the line, there was no messenger anymore. Jesus just had an, a word of knowledge. And whenever he says, well, let's go. Our brother's asleep. Right? He says, well, if he's asleep, he'll awake. He goes, no, no, he's dead. So Jesus had a word. Of, Jesus got a message from the family. Your friend is sick. So he stayed two more days. And then when he says, let's go see Lazarus. He's falling asleep. Then you go wake him. Well, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. No, 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 he's dead. So Jesus got a, a word of knowledge. He got, the, he, got, he got a messenger to come and tell him Lazarus is sick. But then he got a word of knowledge that Lazarus was dead. So the question is, did he know he was going to die the moment he got the message? Probably. So he decided, I'll just stay two more days. When is it okay to throw in the towel on your faith? Jesus many times showed, well, it's too late. Too late to believe. This is the moment where everyone else would say, well, it's too late to believe. It's already over. Mm. There are some things worth fighting for. No matter what. I think that's probably one of the reasons why Jesus... Tells people when you get a divorce, don't get married again. Because it's never too late for restoration. I'm just going to throw that out there. God can always redeem, God can always restore. There are some things worth fighting for, there are some things worth resurrecting. It's never too late. Nothing's impossible with God. <clears throat> Jesus heard it. He said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So he already made up his mind. This boy is going to get healed. But then he stayed two more days. <laughs> now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus says, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but because he sees the light of, the, of this world. But if, if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I must go and wake him. I go to wake him up. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. For your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. <laughs> what? But let us go to him. Ah, oh, man, I love this. You know, a lot of people say, you shouldn't speak death. Like, have you ever heard that before? Oh, you're sick? And you go, man, I'm sick. Oh, don't profess that. That's, 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 you're speaking death. Faith doesn't care about death speaks. Faith doesn't care about death talk. Faith doesn't care about what you see or hear. It only cares about the Word of God only. 
faith pulls the heaven down regardless of what earth says. So it doesn't matter if I come to you and say, yeah, I'm sick. Are you going to have faith for me to be healed? Because faith is believing something you cannot see. So if you got to the point where you're, you're not seeing the, the, the situation for the way it is in reality, how can you have faith for something you don't see, pull it down and override your present reality? Jesus was not afraid. He said, we get afraid. Super spiritual, right? Well, don't say evil things. Jesus was not so super spiritual that he couldn't tell the guys plainly, Jesus, Lazarus has died. <laughs> but we get these goofy Christians out there, oh, don't speak death. You know, don't say that. Oh, you're just speaking death. No. <laughs> Jesus even said, he's dead. I'm going to go raise him. It's, a, it's the final word that matters. It's the final word that matters. Yes, there's giants in the land. Can we take them? That's the question. They went to go spy out the land. I think even God told them, if I'm not mistaken. I think God even said, go spy out the land. Mm -hmm. Then they brought the evil report. Why? Because they re refused to believe what God said. They, they, they decided to believe what they saw. Oh, there's giants in the land. We can't see them. And then the Bible says in King James Version, it was an evil report. But, people, but most people would say, well, it was a factual report. Well, it was an evil report. Giants in the land, factual. We can't take them, lie. Evil. Well, it's a factual report. No, no. <laughs> it was an evil report. You know, there were some facts that were true, and then you dropped a little poison in there. It was 99% good stuff and 1% bad stuff. You should have kept on the Word of God. I've given you the land before you even begin. So here he comes. He's dead. For your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas said, called the twin, said to his uh, fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. <laughs> no, man. Pouting Thomas. Pouting Thomas. <laughs> oh, man. Pouting Thomas. I've never heard that. That's funny. I just find it, it's, it's interesting, you know. So Jesus, that's why that story, that's why I love that story. You know, I had, I had a guy come to me. I love him. I respect him. I honor this guy. I won't name him because I'm going to say something I disagree with him on. But this guy came to me and, and he told me, he said, you know, Zach, if, if the money is not there, you know, God's not in it. Where do I get to draw the line? I can't. Am I gonna? Am I following the money or am I following Jesus? Because it doesn't matter what I see. If Jesus told me to do it, the money will come. I might not see it like you're saying it, but where do I get to draw the line? Oh, we're not living in prosperity, so it must not be the will of God. That's not true. What is prosperity? Prosperity is when you're linked up to God's bank account and you never go without, even if you overdraft the account. That happened. My wife texts me, Zach, we need $1,700 in five days. All right. So we gave $350 away. Actually, we gave $1,200 away. <laughs> in one day, $1,200. Just give it away. And in five days, four days, we got $4,000 back. But before that, our bank account went in the negative $135. So where do I get to draw the line? My wife said, 
$1,700, Zach. If we don't have $1,700 in five days, we close up the shop. You know? And that was after we'd already received the negative $135. So Monday hit. Here's what happened. I'll just gonna tell you this quick story. I'll deep. I'll brief it. February, I believe it was February 9th or 7th, one of the two. First week in February, wife, I come to my wife and said, "How come we don't have any supernatural financial miracles? What's going on? You know, you've been over to the finances for a few months, and we realized there were some things we hadn't been given to." I was like, "Well, this we need to be obedient." I, We've got to be obedient. When God tells us to give somewhere, we have to give. So we wrote a $300 check to one guy and a $50 check to another guy. We only had $700 in the bank account. We zapped half of it out. Gone. We had another bank account designed for missions. We had $800 in it. We gave it to a guy in, in India to dig, a, to dig a bore well. So there was $1,250 that we gave in one day away. We had a $700 ta uh, ta property taxes that needed to pay, and I had $1,000 in another bank account just for taxes, for payroll and stuff, and we didn't know that we were going to have that $700 come out, so what we did do? We had to take that $700 out of that account. And now we're in big trouble, because the next month we had to pay our taxes. How are we going to come up with $700? So we, I, I, told, I told Sarah, we got to give this away. We gotta give, we're believing God for a $3,000 increase. We're going to tithe it right now. Took half the bank account. <laughs> the very following week, Monday, we draw a check out to write a check for our um, for our mortgage because we have to pay our bills. Otherwise, it's late. We become homeless. <laughs> it overdrafts. It clears, so we pay our bill. But the bank account for the ministry is in a negative 135. That's like on Tuesday, Friday. Three days later, my wife says, we need $1,700 in five days. We're done. It's over. She goes, I'm sick of this. <laughs> <laughs> and I responded back, that's the improper response. The Bible says, don't be anxious about anything, but in all things, in prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God with thanksgiving. So this is, op this is a great time to be thankful. <laughs> that's Friday. So I get a so I get a call that so that night, uh, guy. Hey Zach, I owe you restitution for something I stole from you. I'm gonna give you five hundred dollars. Eleven thirty in the evening, I go down there. That's my seven hundred dollars. I'm trying to get now. Find out later that we we already had raised half of that. So that five hundred dollars covered all that, right? Let's pay all the tax property. You know, no big deal. It was taken care of that night. Now we still have to raise seventeen hundred dollars. So I come up here in the morning. And I said, guys, let's pray. I actually, they said, hey, let's pray over our finances, or the, the, the fundraiser. These guys, these were all here. Yeah, Tommy and Dustin and Gilbert were all here. Mm -hmm. And they're like, let's pray. So we hold hands, and, and Gilbert looks at me and says, Zach, will you pray? Yeah. Lord, I thank you, Father, for $1,700. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> and they're all looking at me, you know, I can tell. They're like, golly, that was a specific prayer, Zach. Why do we need $1,700, you know? They didn't say anything. They just went about their, their time, you know, went off to the fundraiser. I get a call, like, at 1 o'clock. Zach, we've already made $575, which is about double the amount we've ever made at a fundraiser the last six months. We have not made anything, $575 at 1 o'clock. 3 o'clock, Zach, we've already made $1,100. That's... Um, Already one of the biggest fundraisers we've ever had. Eight o'clock. 
call, we have $1,401. Well, the day before we made 288, you add it all up, it comes up to $1,689, which is $11 short of our $1,700 goal. <laughs> added my $500 into it, my wife, I go up to my wife, I said, Sarah, I said, did you figure in our paycheck, what we needed for our, pay, for our payroll? Uh, whenever you figured in all this uh, money for the, for the $1,700, she says, no. My wife had just gotten so used to not getting paid, she just didn't care. <laughs> She's like, it's not going to happen, you know? I said, well, you should be more specific with God and all your demands. And I threw to the paper that had all the figures on it. She's like, golly, that's the biggest fundraiser we've ever had. I said, you realize that's only $11 short of what you asked for, right? And there's a $500 gift in there that was supposed to go toward the tax property. So we have probably have about 200 At that point, I didn't know we had the money already. But it was $211 in my brain that we still needed to raise up. You know, this is Saturday. My wife says, hey, I already replenished half of that. So that's actually going to cover it. In fact, we raised over what we needed for our taxes and the $1,700 by $30. Tax properties were taken care of, and what my, mom, what my wife texted me in desperation, we need $1,700 all taken care of in two days. I said, well, let's figure out what we need to pay ourselves. We need $1,354 if we're going to get paid by, this, by Tuesday. So we go to church the next morning. Somebody walks up to me and gives me a $300 check, and another guy gives me a $1,000 check, and someone else gives me $20, and someone else gives me $40, that's $1,360 before noon. He might have. Probably in the cost of discipleship or something. So, my point is this. When is it too late? When do we look at things and say, oh, it's all over? Because you know, technically, when you're negative $135, that's time to close up shop. <laughs> but I had a word from God. And that word was, build the barracks discipleship recovery house. So when God tells you, build the barracks discipleship recovery house, and you're obedient, it doesn't matter what the situation is. It's time to take care of business. So here's the coolest part. This month in March, we've raised over three times what we've been raising in the last six months, each month. This month has been the most uh, flourishing month we've ever had in a year. <laughs> Dustin wants to take credit for it. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so, when is it too late? It's never too late. You need confidence and endurance. Why do you need endurance? Why would he promise you? Why would he say, because you have need of endurance. Why would he say that? You need endurance because you're going to go through something. God doesn't tell... You know why we call it promises? The promise? You know, the reason, you know whenever you come to me and you say, hey, I'm going to do this for you. You promise? The only reason why I would ask you to promise because I doubt you. If I didn't believe, if I questioned you at all, do you promise? For some reason, it's like anting it up a little bit. Like, hey, you know what? I said I was going to do it, but, but you know, I wasn't, you know, I, I had the option of bailing out before, but now that I said I promise, I don't have an option. I, I have to fulfill. <laughs> do you double dog, triple dog dare? <laughs> it's like somehow, if, if I wasn't truthful in the beginning, why would my promise mean anything in the way? You know, we make people promise because we question them. God never says, I promise. He just says, this is what's going to happen.
and then we call it a promise. Why do we call it a promise? Because we know there's going to be a moment where we're going to have to hold on to a promise. Promises are not for any time except when you doubt. Let me say that again. A promise implies there will be a moment of doubt. There will be opportunity for doubt. We call it a promise because there will be opportunity to doubt. And a promise is something you can hold on to whenever you're questioning the integrity of something. That's why we call it a promise. You won't have a promise, so you won't, you won't, you, know, you, you have promises because you're going to need endurance. Why would you need endurance unless there wasn't going to be something that came against the promise? It's like clockwork. God gives you a word. You have confidence. You have trial. You need endurance. You push through, holding on to a promise for the time of doubt, and then you receive the promise. It's like clockwork. If we could realize that's really the cycle of inheriting miracles, if we could understand that's the cycle, then every time we saw a trial, we would just know that that's just normal. I got a word. I met resistance. I endure. I received the promise. <laughs> Let's say it again. You get a word. You meet opposition. You have opportunity to doubt. You press through. You endure. You don't throw away your confidence. You hold on to it. You receive the promise. <clears throat> That's the cycle of a miracle. That's why the Bible says, that's why, that's why uh, Paul says, Consider it joy, my brothers, when you go through trials of many kind. I'm just going to go to this one. But I believe that's why, why, why the, the writers of the scriptures said, I, you know, consider it joy when you go through trials. Because they already know they're going to win. They're excited about the trial. They know that's the natural process of seeing a miracle. <laughs> Have you ever seen a miracle in the Bible that didn't have a, a resistance to it? That's why it was a miracle. That's why it was so exciting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's what makes it exciting. Why do you think we, 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 crave, we crave adventure stories so much? Because we want to overcome trials. God created you to overcome trials. That's what faith is. But nobody wants to get uncomfortable, so they don't have faith. Part of faith is being uncomfortable. James 1, verse 12. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for he has, so for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. But no one say when he's... Okay, so you understand. Uh, that's actually not the one I was thinking of, but... Alright, so that one was James 1.12. This one's James 1.2. Count it all joy. Okay, so it's the same pass. Here we go. Here we go. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And that the steadfastness, uh, when, uh, and let steadfastness, 
have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, which gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall. Its, its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So we see, it's, it's kind of the same place, you know what I mean? Number one, consider it joy, because you know there's growth happening. The second thing is, after you've stood the test, you will receive It's good stuff. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you for watching and listening to this channel. Be sure to hit the like button and share it to your friends. And subscribe to our channel for more content every single week. And if you haven't yet, go visit our website at bombszs.com. We have a lot of content there and a lot of things wow. for you that are absolutely free. So be sure to utilize us as much as possible. We hope that you were blessed by this message. Till next time, have a blessed day.